Oh, well. Hello, and welcome to Legendary and Green Team, Episode 3. Fantasy readers love to see their favorite books adapted to screen, but we often end up loving to hate the results. What are the best ways to bridge the difference from page to screen? Today, Krypton, Hierophan, Horizon Brave, and Little Red Book discuss adaptations. Thoughts, gentlemen? Uh, do that welcoming over because you did my name wrong. Oh, did I? What did I say? <laughs> what did you say? You put I an said R in it. <laughs> 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 uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to mute my mic because I was laughing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's like the uh, Superman's little red little dog or something. Okay. <sighs> well, maybe somebody else should read it, and I shouldn't do the intro. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> not how you get out of this red. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Legendarium's Green Team. Fantasy... Oh, Jesus. I can't do this, guys. Okay, one more time. Hello, and welcome to Legendary Green Team, Episode 3. Fantasy readers love to see their favorite books adapted to screen, but we often end up loving to hate the results. What makes an adaptation successful? What are the best ways to bridge the difference between page to screen? Today we have Kipton, Hierophan, Horizon Brave, and Little Red Book to discuss adaptations. Thoughts, gentlemen? I guess I'll start. Um, well, what do you guys think is the most important thing when adapting a story? You have to preserve, I think, the essence of the characters. That's the most important thing for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think. Uh, I mean. I think. I think it's really easy to like grab something, like grab any random book, but you can change the characters around in such a way where it's no longer the character that you know was from the original source material. So, I mean, you can do it, but it's it comes down to the fact that you know does it kind of like respect the original source material, or are you just trying to shoehorn your own story into someone else's world? So. It, it you have to kind of like tread the line between you know yeah if you want to tell if you want to take like a different take on something as opposed to you know you just doing your own thing and slapping the name on it to sell um you know to sell movie tickets or something. I mean, I don't yeah, think that... <laughs> definitely don't try to like strip mine the IP, but I don't think that even with bad adapta adaptations, that's really what most people who are doing them are trying to do. I don't think they're trying to just strip the IP, but I do think it comes across that way, especially to people who really, really love the work that has been adapted. Does that make sense? Like, I don't think anybody's... I mean, look at what M. Night, whatever, did to, oh, <laughs> did to Avatar. I mean, he said he loved it. He said he was trying to be faithful. I mean, it was a monstrosity, but I don't think he was trying to... I mean... Maybe I, think, I think you're right there. I don't think he was trying to destroy it, but he, he did. did. He did. <laughs> Mike, uh, he, was, uh, he was trying to subvert expectations and do his classic little twist thing that he always does. And he was trying to... He was trying to adapt things that he didn't understand. Well, I mean, right. well, I mean, that's my point, though. Like, like, if you're going to try to subvert expectations, which is now sort of a cliche in itself in the, in the title, but if, you, if you're trying to try to, uh, you know, you know, subvert expectations, you're not, you, you know, by nature, that means you're not sticking to the source material. I mean, you can't have the cake, and, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't 
stick to the same characters and then try to throw in like a monkey wrench and, and go off on your own tangent. You, you know, so I, I mean, you, you can do it, but this is a very thin line. It's a thin, you know, air of margin you have um, yeah. that you have to you kind of, you know, straddle. I think right. that that movie was actually destroyed by uh, the production companies. Uh, oh. I'm not going to not place blame on M. Night, but <laughs> I, I watched that movie for uh, for this podcast. Oh, you did? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it was great because I... Uh, yeah, it was, it was, no, it wasn't great. It was terrible. But <laughs> I, had, I had a friend who was like, I hear everyone's watching Avatar. And so I went and I watched it on Netflix. And what they, what they did was they went and watched the movie. Oh my God. Instead of, oh yeah. Well, Kirifan got me all excited a few weeks ago when he was like, oh, Avatar. And then I went on, on Netflix and it was like, just the movie. And I was oh. like, <laughs> it's, it's the show's on now, but. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm on season two now. Um, so I read about uh, the movie after I watched it, and I read that a lot of the changes that people didn't like were really forced on by the production companies. Uh, like they had a, a lot of white actors playing non-white right. characters, which was a big deal in my opinion. I mean, and, and yeah, it was, and it was weird. I think a lot of that was retroactive justification from M Night, though. Oh yeah, he's he's digging himself a hole every every time he talks about the movie. Yeah, but uh, I think a lot a lot goes on in uh, the background that we don't really know about. Oh yeah, definitely, and 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 just because you know the whole marketing thing, the the director the, the, the director and the, the the people who you know write the actual scripts, they they have a lot of pressure put on you know by the the people literally giving them money to make the movie, so they don't have free reign to cast whoever they want to or. You know, write wherever they want to. They have to sort of. I mean, if you're a bigger name director, you probably have a lot more wiggle room. But you know, it, it's not as easy as just saying, "Okay, do whatever you know you want to do or your vision." They have they're kind of shackled by you know the people giving them money to do it. So that is to take into account. Um, you know, you would think that the people giving the money would want the show to make money. Right, yeah, but in, in their eyes, yeah, but in, in their eyes, like some, like we were talking about, like the white actors, their yeah. their viewpoint is that you know, well, you know, Western audiences aren't going to want to see a movie. It's going to look like a, a kung fu movie. They're not going to want to watch a, a movie about you know a whole bunch of Asian actors. So, to them, people, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say, but white people watch kung fu movies all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Crazy Rich Asians was a huge success. And Black Panther. Yeah, yep. I, I, I think I think I think it's changing. I I think you know for there was a while where I think you know okay to make this movie successful you have to make you know white people has to be more you know tailored to you know Western audiences, which and I think that was a preconception that the producers had that was just wrong. It was oh, yeah, racist and wrong. Yeah, definitely, because because <laughs> Avatar did not have a lot of white characters and it was a huge success with yep. white audiences. Like the but original, I, I, TV show, not the movie. The TV yeah, they're, <laughs> they're more willing to overwrite that in animation, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I was seeing, I was seeing, like, in their eyes, they're saying, "Okay, that's, that's a cartoon for kids." You know, that's relegated to a small little section. You know, we're talking about a big, you know, multi-million-dollar movie. It has to appeal to Western adults, and you know, to them, that's white lead actors, you know, the strong white male actors, you know, a stereotype. Yep. And everyone remember the the big outcry when Rue was cast in the Hunger Games as a black girl? 
Oh, right, she? right, right. She I was black remember. in the text. I was going to say she was black in the text. She was I remember black that. in the text. But so many people <sighs> had read the books and just automatically assumed in their heads that, oh, this is a yep. white girl. Yeah. I don't remember this, but I had yep. so it very was, little care it was for her. a really game. big outcry. Well, yeah. Uh, I, sorry. I could bring us to our next subject. Well, how important it is to have the characters look the same on the story. Because for me personally, uh, it's just a nice, you know, thing to have, but it doesn't really matter at all to me. I think the only time I was weirded out by it is when, um, and it was a terrible movie too, the the Dark Tower movie came out, because I read the Dark Tower series, and there was a whole subtext with um, Roland being white, and one of the other characters, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name. Was black uh, and there was and like a large that, black woman, right? Right, and there was like that was part of the story, and so I was like, "How are they going to work it out?" But then they just cut it, that whole series, that whole <laughs> plot line out, and it didn't even matter. <laughs> so that would, be- yeah, that's <laughs> that's sort of the problem. Is like when 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 I mean, and again, I'm I'm African American myself, so I I have free reign to say what I'm about to say. <laughs> but, <laughs> I was just going to say, are you sure? Are you sure you're not a Midwest white girl? <laughs> <laughs> only, only in chat. <laughs> but um, but um, um. So I have no problem with them making, you know, changing gender, but uh, it or or you know, or race. But it's when it sort of then steps on the toes of the actual story. That's when it kind of gets to the point where, okay, well, you know, you're kind of doing yourself. You're you're, you're digging yourself into more, you know, a hole because you you, you then have to explain, you know or write off, as you're saying, you know, an entire part of the plot, or you have to, you know, go kind of bend over backwards to kind of squeeze it in there. So, I mean, I, I don't, like, um, for example, I don't know if you guys saw Ghost in the Shell. Um, Ghost in the Shell, the main character is obviously, you know, in the in the original animation, she's, you know, obviously supposed to be an Asian woman, supposed to be Japanese, right. but in the, in the live action movie, they, they cast uh, Scarlett Johansson. And, yep. uh, and for me, I, I actually, I probably one of the few people, I actually enjoyed that movie. I actually liked the movie. Um, and I didn't mind that she was cast as a white actress. Um, she did a no okay job. But it, the, it but, Ghost but, in the Shell but, is a unique uh, example, though, because, like, in the animation style, she, she, she is Japanese, but she's also, like, a white, yeah, official right. Japanese person because she's yeah. actually a, a robotic body. Yeah, yeah, I was about to get to that. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was going to say like, it, but in in this case, that it's that's not really stepping on anything on the story because she, well, she's, she's a cyborg first of all, and second of all, she like, her race isn't part like like her race isn't part of the story. Her, the fact that she's you know an AI is so so you know there's no there's, there's no harm there. It's just okay. Yeah, I'm looking at a white woman. So I, there there was a very large uh, outrage of you know backlash against uh, them casting her. But I was looking around. I was like, you know, what's the big deal it, it was never it was never part of the story it was never like an integral piece of the story here so yeah i, th- I, I think don't that's know a different, i think that's a different conversation more about representation and media than anything yeah yeah i mean well I mean, that definitely factors into it when a lot of times a lot of times like the decisions to change a character's um appearance or uh what have you it, sometimes that does shed into the whole you know racial representation yeah uh, that's argument. that's why i mentioned the dark tower because there was this integral racial element to the plot and then they but like i said they just tossed everything out anyway so it didn't even matter which was they kind of, not to do it right I, yeah. I i don't even know why they 
did the Dark Tower the way they did it. And I love Idris Elba. He is a beautiful man and a great actor, and I love seeing him, but that was just so strange to me. Like, why are you doing that? Anyway. Like, if you were going to adapt an N.K. Jemisin work, I would probably say you couldn't change the race, ethnicity, sex, or orientation of any of the main cast without losing an integral part of the plot. Yes. I, I would agree. agree. I've only read other authors book. that that's not true. Right. Right. <laughs> Robert Jordan. <laughs> Robert Jordan, as, as we're about to see, they're going to change things dramatically around unless they give most of the main cast wigs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that I asked you guys earlier what uh, you thought was the most important in adaptations, and you both said uh, Horizon and Kip said uh, characters. And while I think characters are the most important, uh, are very important, but sometimes a story uh, has something that it's known for, like an atmosphere, or sometimes it's known for its characters, or sometimes it's known for something else. And I think it's more important to get that right than the characters. So like, uh, for example, an H.P. Lovecraft story, if someone were to adapt that to a movie, I don't think it would matter if the characters were right or wrong at all. I think the atmosphere and the sense of dread would be a much more important thing. And I think that's what the uh, fans would be looking for. I think that's very accurate. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree. And in fact, if you, if you, if, you, if his recent, the most recent adaptation was Color Out of Space. And that, not only does that like not have the same characters, but it's, it's in a different time period. Like, like, Color Out of Space, the new one is set in like modern times. Which is not in the original book, but it's still the the, the feeling and the setting is is still there, um, and it still has like that sense of like really kind of foreboding, you know, dread that comes with all of H.P. Lovecraft, and it, the, the the director did a great job in capturing that. So, uh, yeah, I, th I think you know when it comes to like settings and things like that stuff can be sort of you know uh, transported to where it needs to be in terms of you know time wise. But as long as like the fundamental feel and vibe of the story is there, uh, I think that's pretty pretty important. I'd say uh, something that did a good job with that was uh, two actually two things. I think Arrival did a good job capturing the like tone of the of the book of the short story really, and I think Annihilation did a good did a good job capturing the the sense of wonder and uh oddity because a lot of a lot of uh what do you call it a lot of annihilations prose would never transfer over into a graphical format so they had to really change things around in order to get the similar feeling See, I'm curious though, because I, I didn't read Annihilation. I, I when I saw it, it was you no, know, it was I was like my first introduction to it. So now I'm curious to actually go back and read it and see, you know, what what I would take away from it doing it in reverse room. Yeah, um, Annihilation is 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 a weird case because also it was created with the director only reading the book once and oh. not taking notes. Huh. That's interesting. And he was like, it 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 inspired in me such a feeling that I wanted to adapt it with what I remembered and what I thought would fit on screen. So do you think it was a successful adaptation? I mean, would you, did you like it? Um, I liked it. Yeah. I liked it quite a bit. 
Cool. And I think he got the important parts. He missed. He did. <laughs> he did like just completely skip over one part of the book, which I, I'm not going to fault him for. <laughs> right. I can't see way a way to adapt this like intensely internal monologue into a visual experience uh, when it's like when half of the struggle of it in the book is the person can't trust their eyes. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's, Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, so that's one of the things that I know that I really struggle when I see um, things adapted um, from books into TV shows or whatnot. It was one of the big things I had with the expanse, even though I actually really like the expanse. Um, I think but the expanse is remarkably faithful. It, it really is, but just you miss that internal voice, and there's no good way. Because I loved, yeah, the part where you're inside Miller's head, and he's mm. thinking about whatever's going on, and that is something that just for the first two or three episodes was really hard for me to adjust to because I just missed that voice. And I know, hmm? I know exactly what you mean. Um, has uh, I'm probably the only one. Has anyone read the Nausicaa novels? Uh, Nausicaa? No. No, I've just seen the I've just seen the um whatever anime. his name is. Yeah, thank you. The anime. So in in uh, comic format, you, they have thought bubbles, right? So you could always read them. But for some right. reason when it comes to animation, they just have these characters say these things out loud, which is Ooh. incredibly jarring and it just Ew. So the movie starts out with Nalshka by herself and she's thinking about uh you know these giant creatures and but she's talking to herself and everyone talks to themselves, but it's nothing like the way that people talk to themselves when they're, you know, that the way that people talk to themselves <laughs> and people talk in front of other people. It's very uh, off-putting, but there's not really a different way to do it in my opinion. Yeah. I noticed that actually sort of it happens in anime a lot, actually, where like the, the, they don't really do a lot of inner dialogue. They just do a lot of like actual like spoken outward dialogue to themselves like it always comes out as like of not fake but it's just like no, no one really does no one walks around and like you know talks to themselves in like this overly monotone and you know thought-provoking way so it's, it always it always kind of puts me off on anime like, I, I i enjoy a lot of animation but it's just that uh a, a lot of it can be so overdone and dramatic i think that's, I that's, that's do that, though. <laughs> that's making me hope no one adapts an ellie modest novel <laughs> But going back to the expanse, um, if you guys don't mind. Nope, so, no, never. Oh, <laughs> so one of the things I found really interesting and that I thought was really successful in that adaptation is that they kind of rearranged the plot lines. Because when you read the books, like you don't even meet Avasar. 100%. 100%. I can't say her name. You have to say it. Avasarala. Thank you. My hot Indian grandma with the beautiful clothes. <laughs> sure, and, hey, Agnashalu. <laughs> anyway, the, that rearranging, I think, really was um, a very thoughtful way of bridging the the way that it, moving from the book to the screen, because it gives you a lot more investment in these characters that you aren't really introduced to. And I know, was, is it Stephanie that's reading or is it Megan? Stephanie. Yeah, and she's having problems with all the reintroducing of the characters and stuff. She's not anymore. Well, it, she, originally for the yes. first couple books and um 
giving that investment into the show where you have these characters that you can kind of hold on to, especially because it's uh, uh, you're less invested by watching a TV show than when you read a book. Um, yeah, and I did uh, a really good adjustment, and I really enjoyed that part of it. I don't know. It, I, it, it was, I feel like the TV show showing me her character and her amazing actress made me oh, much right. more invested in her. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, is that I just reread it, and and she is indelibly stamped into my head now. Oh yeah, and I love sure. it. Right. Well, no, I I just meant by less invested versus more invested is that yeah. like when you sit down and read a book. You're versus yes. watching something on TV. There's a different investment level there. And the books in the expanse, uh, especially the first one and and the second one, have quite a bit of expository uh, text where like the books just tells you some things and puts a big info dump on you. Mm-hmm. And the shows wanted to avoid that. I say this even though they start the series with like text on a blank screen. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> Uh, the the show tries to avoid that as much as it can, but it still has quite a bit of work to do to ground you in this uh, new universe several hundred years in the future. And adding Avasarala really gives you that viewpoint from Earth that they mm-hmm. would have struggled to otherwise give in a natural seeming manner. Right. I, I think I think like a lot of what you guys are saying. I, I, first of all, I I love the books, and I, I I really really tried to get into the show. I, I really did. I, I was like watching episodes multiple times to try to like pound that I would really enjoy, but I just couldn't. And I think it's because you know when I read the books, I I had again these burned in mental images of you know what the characters would look like, how they would speak, and you know, and then seeing them brought you no know, you know. And, and and I, I get what you're saying um, uh, that about you know bringing Avatar in was a good idea you know from a narrative point of view just, you know to get me to sort of invested like, I I mean, to get watches invested I totally get it but to me it felt like it, it was it was just one of many departures from the books and the fact that um, she didn't speak the way she does in the books. So they they stripped that whole like like and I I know it, it drives Stephanie nuts but but but, <laughs> but but like the speech like her speech is like and her manner of speaking is how that's like core of her character I mean that's like you mean her you, swearing yeah all her swearing yeah, yeah. And, 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 and and I know and I know yeah okay it's 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 just you know it can be more than that but that's like a pretty important piece, you know, of her character and how she interacts with people and how she puts on this mask, you know, to, to, to sort of, you know, um, um, get prompt herself up to, you know, a, you know, in public. So I thought was, that was like a big miss for me. And, and also the fact that um, uh, the crew, again, just didn't, it, it felt like just mo- like movie stars and models, like, you know, sexy models, you know, walking around on screen. Like it just didn't feel anywhere near as like, Gritty and and you know lived in. Are you in calling, are you calling Amos a sexy model? Oh, he's a sexy man. <laughs> that, 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 is, that is a big sexy man right there, right? <laughs> I mean, he's kind of cute. <laughs> you don't think so? Kid? No, he's incredibly attractive. <laughs> I mean, he's fine. Holden is not. Holden is not. But... <laughs> no, he's no, no, he and he's very weird. <laughs> I just, yeah, Holden was, I was really actually put off by the actor that they cast as Holden. I did. Oh, really? I... Also, he's in Sky High, and I can't help but say that. <laughs> Yeah, when you told me that, I was like, really? I went back and looked it up, and I'm like, 
my god, he totally is. <laughs> yeah, none of, none of the characters in the show ever really lined up with what my image was from the book, except uh, the Indian lady, because I saw her before I read about her. Alex well, I, was yeah. supposed to be fatter, and Bobby is supposed to be bigger. I actually, also actually, speaking of which, <laughs> we were talking about race. I, I actually, and and this is, I guess, like a fault on my end. Um, but when I when I was reading the books of the Expanse, I, I never pictured um Bobby as being like uh, what's supposed to be like Samoan or uh yeah, I, Poly- I never Polynesian. I, yeah, Polynesian. Yeah. I, I I never pictured that. I pictured her as more of just like a a, a very like kind of like. Um, more like a brutish white woman, I guess. I, I never. I mean, her as... they mention it multiple times. Yeah, but, they do. Yeah. They do. They do. You're right. No, you're right. So I went. I went back and like I, I, I went through book two. I think she's introduced, and I was like, oh wow, yeah, man. It's actually I, like I, a plot point at one point. Really? I honestly, yeah, I would because, because the, I... the normal armor doesn't fit her right, so she has to have custom made armor. Yeah, which yeah. Is why her armor is older, and therefore different from the other armors, and that's actually a plot point. Well, well, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, fine, yes, yeah, I'm yeah. actually with Horizon. I did not picture her as a as a Samoan either. I don't yeah. know why. That makes me. I mean, I don't know. And I pictured. Uh, I mean, well, I also read it and watched the show simultaneously. The first no, you're, three. You're months. lucky. You're lucky. So, I kind yeah, of had a different impression. I couldn't do that. I rather yeah. honestly watch a show or a movie before I read the book because usually I just get tipped off. Whoa. So Okay. Talk about that for a moment. Uh, talk, wait, talk about you need what, to what it is you about need adaptations to that makes you want to watch them before you read the source material. Because I think that's an unusual viewpoint we don't hear enough of. <laughs> because usually so when I watch an adaptation that I especially if I really love it, but even if I just kinda like it, um I can't get the book out of my head. Um, so the kids wanted to watch Hunger Games and they were reading it. And so I watched Hunger Games okay. with them and then I read the book. I remember you saying that about The Expanse. And Well, I was, I was watching them simultaneously. It was at yeah. the same time, but it just, because I know I can't get the book out of my head. And because when we were talking about The Expanse earlier about that, the interior monologue and all that kind of stuff that they can't do in a, uh, an adaptation, for screen or they can with really bad narration voiceovers which would annoy everyone watching them um it just is easier for me to go from the from the movie to the book and i almost always like the book better which i know is cliche so i don't get angry when i'm watching the adaptation if i don't read the book first and it just no, i'm happier and i enjoy it more so why do it if i know i'm gonna watch the movie i don't read the book now i have a question then so a lot of times, like I, I mean, wait, 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 what you're saying makes sense. But now, do you feel like when you then go and read the book, do you have like a mental image like burned to your mind now? Because they, because because like when I read it, when I watch the movie first on the rare occasions, and then I have to go and read the book. I I then just automatically, I, it, it sort of takes away from this sort of imagination that I'm that I play with when I'm reading a book for the first time. Because then I'm just picturing just the actors saying the lines or picturing them, you know. So it's, it's sort of, I don't want to say it cheapens it, but it, it sort of takes away from the experience that I would have reading the book by itself with no source, with no material to go on. I mean, that then that would bother me. Just like you're saying, you know, reading the book first would bother you because you're watching the TV show afterward. To me, it's the same thing. It would just be in reverse then. Then it would bother me about the book because then I have like this 
mental images of like actors, you know, playing out in my mind. Um, Does that bother you? No, 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 it doesn't bother me. I mean, I get what you're saying. Like a lot of times, if I read the book or if I watch the show first, I will hear like the characters talking and the actors' voices or whatever. But that, for some reason, that just doesn't bother me. And then the longer, especially if it's a good-sized book, by the time I, I'm at the end of the book, that goes away. It just doesn't. I does, it doesn't bother me at all. Actually, <laughs> I, I I understand what you're saying, and I've had that experience, but it's not a problem for me. Yeah, this happened to me when I when I read when I watched Fight Club. I, I used to love that movie so much. Like I used to watch Fight Club like on repeat when I was, when I was uh, I uh, <laughs> the movie. And but then I, when I when I went to read the um you know the the book uh that it was based on um all I pictured was like Brad freaking Pitt <laughs> <laughs> and Ed Norton. Like it's like, it was so hard for me to then separate the two. And I feel like if I read the book first and then I went into the movie. Um, I, I would have an easier time delineating the two, and I would kind of like separate them. But when I read the book afterward, it was just it was just bed pit all the time. I got a, I got a question for everybody. So, in the same topic, how do you all uh, imagine Harry Potter characters? Because Ooh. while they look very different on page, I whenever I'm reading, I always imagine Daniel Radcliffe and uh, I've only and, watched and which Dumbledore. <laughs> like the, the second Dumbledore. Oh, and see, I hate second Dumbledore. Yeah, I yeah. First Dumbledore. Yeah, same he, here. I, 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 don't, I don't like movie five and six. So, I sorry. Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the worst movie, so you can't blame it too bad. Mm. See, I can't imagine having that preconception of a character and then going back and reading the books for the first time. Mm. I just can't. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to read. I, read, I think I read the first three books. Um, which one was Goblet of Fire? Goblet of Fire, that's four, right? That's four, yeah. Yep. Okay, so I read the first three, yeah. I read the first three first, and then Goblet of Fire came out, and then I we saw the movie. But, um, but yeah, when I when I... When I, I I read the, the the books first, and I had like a you know a, I mean it's, he's right on the cover, so it's it's not like you know it, it, and the character who they got to play Harry is pretty. I mean he's a little bulkier; he's not as like lanky as they made him out in the in the, in the artwork. But Daniel uh, Radcliffe is pretty lanky. He's pretty lanky, but uh, <laughs> for, whatever, for whatever reason, the artist like the I think you guys know what I'm talking about. I think, no, the, I think like they the nailed first, it. Cover art. Yeah, no, yeah, they did, they did, but he's, he's, like, he's like a little more gaunt, I guess. If that's you know, but mm. anyway, most of the characters pretty much panned out to how I would, you know, imagine they would uh, look. Um, I think the only one that stood out to me was uh, Lucius Malfoy. Um, he 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 just looked so over the top, sinister. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I don't know if you guys are going overboard. Yeah, right. <laughs> I always thought Hermione and Ron uh, actors were quite different from the way they were describing the books. Oh, I felt like Ron was perfect. Well, Ron was supposed to be uh, have a long face, lots and lots and lots. A, lot, a really important part of Ron's appearance, in my opinion, were his freckles, and he didn't mm. really have that at all. You didn't think Rupert Grant had freckles? I, I thought he, he had doesn't. freckles. I don't know. I thought he only... had freckles. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, 
Like I, I think said, you're I just imagining freckles because he's redheaded, but he doesn't have any freckles. <laughs> hey, I don't know. Hey. I have the, I have this picture in my head of him in the first movie, and I thought I saw a bunch of freckles. Did we imagine know. these freckles? Maybe. Huh? Maybe <laughs> I have. <laughs> well, no, because I remember him having freckles too, and it certainly is possible that he outgrew freckles because some people do lose their freckles when they get older. Like I have many less freckles now. Now and, I just get them on my uh, nose my, when I can. Or not a total babe say. in the books at all. And then she's a total babe in the movies. <laughs> I mean, she who, is who? a babe when she does her hair. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Who, who are we talking about? Hermione, I think. <laughs> Hermione. Oh, oh. oh, you mean that like... Hermione is girl? canonically a babe when she does her hair with a bunch of Sleek Easy's uh, hair potion. <laughs> but it takes too many bottles to do every day too much time too much work and you have to accept her natural hair for what it is oh god that's my uh, hair <laughs> such a mess <laughs> but yeah no hermione hermione canonically cleans up great if you want to use that term it's a fair term uh, she just has you know very bushy hair and i'm fine with that uh, first, to, uh, first movie Hermione had bushier hair than I thought was possible. That's uh, exactly what my a... hair is like when it's long. In, in terms of accurate adaptations, that's probably one of the most accurate movies ever made. The first one. Yep. Hmm. It's the only one I've seen, and I've read all the books once. And then, you know, she gets better at magic over the years. Well, okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> Like she I, went to the Molly Weasley school of everyday magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I'm sorry guys, but Harry Potter's just like I was in college when they started coming out, so they just don't have this place in my heart that they have for you guys. I I didn't grow up with them, but um I was uh I wanna say I was in eighth grade when they came out, around there, maybe a little I grew up with the books. Yeah, I I didn't technically grow up with them, but I guess I when I read them, I was getting into like my fantasy, you know, mood of you know Dungeons and Dragons and everything. So they definitely had a had a place in my uh, you know growing up for me. But I was never I was I never I was never like attached to them like I was you know like some other some other um, uh, fantasy series. Kip and I are about the same age, so uh, I'm looking at pictures of. Uh, Rupert Grint, and I'm not seeing freckles. <laughs> oh, no. oh no, we imagined I them. Reading in high school. Yeah, I was uh, a junior in college, I think, when I read the first one. Yeah, I was definitely in high school. Um, I was I wasn't even in high school when I started reading Harry Potter. <laughs> God, I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, move on I'm pretty sure I was in middle school. Um, uh, well, I want to. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, uh, I was gonna talk a little bit about Lord of the Rings. Okay. okay. Oh, oh yeah, the the best adaptation of all time. Sure. Definitely. <laughs> so, um, I think that it's a really good example of what is done right with adaptation. It catch it captures feelings, the feeling and the mood, um, and it's also really very careful about what it eliminates because there's no way you could put all of the Lord of the Rings well into a movie because it would be even longer than these director hats are. And so I kind of made a little list of um, 
three adaptations from the book. Uh, the first one is Eliminating Tom Bombadil, Ooh, which yeah. I love. I love Tom. I love the character. He's great. But I'm glad they did because it just would have taken up too much time in like the first hours them getting out of the Shire. It would have been great. It would have been very awkward too. Like it, it would have been like it, it would have been too random. I think for people to nowadays latch onto and take kind of seriously. It, it would have been too. It would have been. It would have broken the pace of the movie. And then, um, so the way they handled Faramir's uh, character uh, was bad. It was very very bad, and it made me very angry because he's um, a good guy, and him trying to take the ring from Frodo, I almost walked out of the movie. So, huh? I I, I was going to say, say I was just going to say that 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 um that didn't bother me only because I knew it was coming from like a narrative point of you know where. Boo. Uh, and, and, I I, I, no, no, no. I I I know what you're saying. I I I do partially agree with it, but sometimes like it it, it does have that. There is there are some liberties that directors have to take to tell a good story rather than completely 100% adapting the movie, you know, as is on paper. Because I think you know their job first and foremost is to make an entertaining movie, and and not everyone has read Lord of the Rings. So so I I, th I think overall in general, and, and it's nothing it's nothing that sort of that so completely deviates that it's you know all completely unwatchable it, it, it's something that's yeah it's not in the book and it does change the character but from a narrative point of view for other people who who haven't read the book it does a lot in the way of keeping people invested i think i think it's, it's better to change it a little bit rather than and turn people off and have them be bored and not like the whole movie as a whole rather than just make a concession and you know make a small change here just to keep people engaged and enjoy the movie, you know, for the bigger picture. I, I agree, Horizon. Um, I, I wrote a, for this podcast, I wrote some notes on good and bad changes in uh, Lord of the Rings, and I put Tom Bombadil in the good change and okay. Faramir in the bad change, so I, I agree as well, Little Red. But yeah, uh, not just the, the, the change to his character for Faramir, because eventually he sees a light, and I guess that's that's fine. And that they have a little mini arc for him in the second seven second movie, right? But uh, geographically, it doesn't make sense. Do you know what I mean? So they have to take them from uh, Ithilien, right? From Ithilien to Ascilioth, and then back from Ascilioth to uh, Minas uh, Ungul. I forgot. But so there's a lot of. I think it was like Heneth Enuin or something at some point. Yeah. So that's going to probably take a long time, but it has to be very, very <laughs> It's okay. We all know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So, and then the one that I put down for neutral is the way they handled the scouring of the Shire. So it's a part of the book that I like, but, um, and I think that it does take a little bit away from the plot. Um, because there's this whole with um, with the hobbits coming back into themselves and they're returning home and they have to set things right. That's it's a nice little character arc for the our, uh, Oh my god, I am blanking on their names. Pip, Pippin, and Pippin and Mary. Mary, Mary Pippin and Mary. They have this nice little arc, and I think that it's sad that it's not in the movie, but at the same time, 
it's so long already. So that's when I kind of, it was a major change that I felt pretty neutral about. So I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that. I, yeah, I, I think just why they like, admitted it. Yeah, I, I, think I would definitely put that in minor, minor arcs. <laughs> right. It's like, so, I mean, it was kind of sad, but I was like, okay. Um, As a fan, I was very upset that it was gone, but I understand why. Oh, really? Yeah. Let's I, let's try an exercise. If you had to adapt one of your favorite works, and you had to cut one big thing to get rid of it, what would you get rid of? Oh no, because we're all going to come from different. Like work. red. Let's you and I think about if you had to adapt Song of the Lioness and you had to cut one big thing, what would you cut? Oh jeez, I don't know. I was hoping you'd do one that we. Let's <laughs> let's let's do um because I've only read it once, so let's do um Sabriel instead. Oh, Sabriel? Okay. Yeah, because we both I've read it several times, I'm sure you have too. I have, yeah. Mm. What would I cut? What would I cut? It has to be a major plot point, right? A major plot point, yeah. Um <sighs> I don't know if that counts as a major plot point. <laughs> I would I would definitely cut out the beginning where she's um baptized. Sure. But that's not major. That's not major. That's that's a prologue. Um You guys you guys think too. Not, I mean not for our really book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was about to say, like uh I'll cut uh, the last chapter that you know, the big one. <laughs> I have, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. You, know, real, you should the read them though. Part. They're really good. Um. Oh, so I probably I would cut out a whole bunch of what goes on in the house when she first gets into. The I pool. would also cut that part. Except um, that she I thought it was cheating. I thought it was cheating, but <laughs> you yeah, know, she, she can she can like meet up with Moggett along the way. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, I think that would be the the thing I would cut out, and it would also cut out the whole thing with the the paper wing. Yeah, which we don't need. I would also cut out the like servant that gives her the uh, the bath. <laughs> no, the 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 servant like at the beginning when she gets the bells and book from her father. Oh, I would yeah. cut that out. I'd replace it with Moggett. Good call. We're gonna be rich and famous now, Kip. <laughs> you guys are gonna be make editors. <laughs> All right, I I thought of one. Okay. Even though that so, would fuck with the with the uh sorry. Even though that would I have heavily heavily mess up some of the lore of the series, it would make the movie shorter. And it would also make it tighter. Like Yes, much tighter. Okay, here fun. Your turn. Um, my favorite is Malazan, which would never see the light of day. Oh god, no. So. Don't even bother <laughs> saying what you're going to cut from that. <laughs> oh come on, Ken! Give him a chance. Unless you're going to say I cut Icarium. <laughs> oh, no, I couldn't cut Icarium. You could. You totally could, and the story wouldn't change much. Oh, it's true though. But, <laughs> but I, he's I love him. To major much. character, but uh, he's one of my favorite characters. But he's pretty useless. Oh, that's not true. the The end of his arc is pretty important. Everybody's pretty useless in Malazan. Uh, no, I, I would cut uh, trucks. trucks. You're not convincing me to read this, guys. 
Sorry. Just cut Anamanda Rake. Just say, Oh, hey. you couldn't do that. <laughs> no, you really couldn't do that. Um <laughs> I, other than incredibly minor characters, it's hard to cut people because Cut Mallet. Okay. I was thinking Trots. Okay. Because it's his his uh his character uh, story is still pretty important to the third book, but I don't think you necessarily need it. So yeah. Do you yeah. have anything? I'm oh, sorry. Totally, just cut mallet. Okay. <laughs> you, you just like mallet? <laughs> uh. No. Who else could you cut? Oh, there's so many fun options. Uh, you could cut cut Benedict. If you cut one character, it's not going to change much because the story is still (laughs) incredible. Complicated, incredible. You could probably cut eighty percent of Melisande characters. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Give them to somebody else. (laughs) What's so funny about this is the second episode was all about why I should read this series, and you guys have just convinced me not to read the series. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm not saying that they're not good characters. I'm not saying they're not good books. I'm not saying that they're not integral to the story that is being told in Malazan. But I am saying that if you're ever going to try and make a TV show out of Malazan, or a, God forbid a movie, you would have to cut at least 80% of the characters. Yeah, and you'd have to give those roles to some... Well, that's what's so great. No, about no they would just be those. nameless characters. They would be nameless soldiers. Well, the uh, there are so many characters, and they all fit different, you know, pieces of the story. And in other books, you know, one character would fit so many different roles, and it might work for that story. But in Malazan, they have different characters fitting different roles because it is a complicated world, just like yeah, you know, no. life. The, there, there is no such thing as a Malazan adaptation that is faithful to the source material. Unless it, unless it's like a, a a twenty season TV series. All right, so so just as an outsider here, what are you guys saying? Then are you saying that these characters, these these tertiary characters, they, they don't matter to the main story, or rather that they're just boring? No, uh, I think what he's saying is that they're very important to the story, but that there are so many of them that are important to the story that they would have to cut them out and give those roles to somebody else. Okay. Or like condensed characters. Oh, also, yeah. okay, gotcha. And so like one character which just does everything, basically. There are so, two characters in the third book who play a really, really important role in the story, at least for uh, one of the major themes, uh, the, the Maibi. But they're, they're not even named. That's part of why it's so important is because these unnamed soldiers did something so great and, you know, they want to Okay. Like that. This is not the Malazan episode. <laughs> no. no, but we could, speaking of adaptations, talk about uh, Wheel of Time a little bit because that's coming out soon. What do yeah. you guys think okay. they're going to cut? Read Wheel of Time? I oh, have read it. Oh, yes. What do we think they're going to cut from Wheel of Time? Wait. Minor spoilers for Wheel of Time. <laughs> uh, I I really hope they, they cut uh, at least some of Rand's love interests. Oh, oh me, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Horizon, have you read it? Way. Have you read Wheel I of Time? I have not. And, and funny, oddly enough, I was really going to start uh, the Wheel of Time read-along uh, this summer, but, but you guys, go ahead, go ahead. I'm, I'm very curious. 
So, so, I, so, I, so I know what to skip over as I'm I, reading. I hope they cut the weirdly BDSM training rituals in the White Tower. Oh, okay. Lord. I, I, I will make I, note I, of that to skip. I hope they, they cut all of the political stuff in the slog. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Elaine's bath scene. I hope they cut that. Oh, right. They're not that going is... to, but I hope they do. <laughs> well, they could tighten it up a little bit so it's not like three chapters or whatever it was in the book. <laughs> it, it was like three pages. <laughs> three full pages it, it of someone like taking, a, of her taking a bath. It felt like three <laughs> chapters. They could cut out like a whole bunch of the Aes Sedai and like just combine them into just a couple I, characters. I really hope they're, they're going to do that. Um, yeah, there's too many Aes Sedai. Not have where, that. Hmm? No, I was gonna say, where is this show debuting at? What 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 streaming service? Because that will determine. Uh, all right, so. Uh, yeah, I don't have a lot to base on them because I, I haven't seen, I haven't watched Good Omens. So I'm not sure what so, their what what their normal. So unlike Eureka, or sorry, unlike The Expanse, uh, they don't have to cut any number of swears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the sci-fi channel could only air a certain number of swears yeah per episode yeah. <laughs> but there's not a lot of swears in wheel of time and avasarala's well, language there was oh well yeah okay. um i'm talking about wheel of time though there's they're not gonna i mean to... no it's all fake swearing which is very nice for tv networks to adapt and it's yeah. also hilarious it, it, it annoys me so much Oh, man. So they're probably going to run into problems in England when they say bloody so many times. Right, right. Because that's actually a real swear word in England versus yes. here. <laughs> Which is so cute. Um, <laughs> I just want to get rid of Perrin's love interest because I don't like her. I wish she would disappear, but she's not going to. Oh, I know she's not. Yeah. I yeah they already her. casted her, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I, I don't remember that, but. Uh, do you, you think they're going to keep Shadow Logoth? Yes. Um, I absolutely do. And I'm trying to remember, because I... Is he the guy with the... Oh. That's the city. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I was thinking, I was thinking about the character that... They're ab got. absolutely going to keep Shadow Logoth. Because they have to. I, I don't see how the story works without it. I think you can cut it. I mean, it's it's got important parts. I think they're going to cut Terran's ferry. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe the circus. <laughs> uh, there, there's no way they're skipping the circus. Oh, please skip the circus. There's no way they're skipping the circus. <laughs> Poor Horizon has no idea what we're talking about. They, 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 might, they might skip the, uh, the like, academies that Rand sets up. Oh, uh, maybe. I, I like think it's more entertaining than actually reading the series. <laughs> <laughs> just, hearing about, no. just hearing what you guys don't like about it and, and hope to God it, it doesn't appear on screen is more entertaining. Oh, oh! I hope they don't make fun of rape. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh. right? I hope they don't make fun of men getting raped by women. I that really would... hope that is not in there. That's my number one peeve with the series. That whole book, because that, that whole book was very rapey in a lot of spots. And it was super upsetting to me. Oh, I hope they cut down the length of the antiquing trip that is the journey to fetch the Bull of the Winds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. I've never heard it described like that. <laughs> That's the best way I've ever heard it described. All right. Well, 
<laughs> we should we should move on. But we've, okay. we've talked about we've talked about good adaptations, but uh, has everyone seen the Hobbit? Uh, the the, uh, the first the movie bit. version or the cartoon version from like 1978. I saw the first two the movies. And I was like, I don't need movies. to see the third. Yeah, <laughs> I fell asleep trying to watch the third one three times and gave up. I fell asleep in the middle of the goblin section of the second one twice. <laughs> These so, the hot the Hobbit movies are like a, 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 such a masterclass in what and it's funny because it's in the same series it's it's the same director but it's just a, a masterclass in like what not to do when trying to direct an adaptation like, like he he went from you know perfecting an adaptation of you know Lord of the Rings that, for the most part you know like he pretty much nailed it but then moving on to the Hobbit and. I think what we were talking about before with studio intervention, uh, I think this plays into a, a lot, but just going from now The Hobbit where it's like, why? Why was this made? Why were some choices made here? It's, it's really bizarre. I think a lot of it was money. I was just going to say, that's 100% what it was. Because yep. they they took this teeny weeny little book, relatively speaking, and stretched it out to um, three movies? Yeah. And then there's this weird love story between the elf and the dwarf, and I'm like, yeah, and that's, well, that's the thing. Like, I, I, you know, theoretically, you could stretch out that movie if you really wanted to. You could write in a um, a lot of filler, but I mean, rather you could still call it The Hobbit is you know, up in, the air, in, in up in the air. But it's just the, the way they filled it out and what they filled it out with, and the scenes they made, you know, the choices. It's just so like. And the tone. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a big thing. The tone was just so lost, and, and like now, the Hobbit. Don't get me wrong, the Hobbit is a more lighthearted tone than Lord of the Rings. So, oh yes, one hundred percent. By nature, it, it is written that way. But still, it's like the tone of the movie. It was too. It was going this way and that. Like I, I honestly, it was bouncing back and forth, and they had all these like really weird choices in terms of scenes. I just nothing worked for me in that movie. And it's specifically been... not an action book. Yes, no. yeah, it's exactly. not a thriller. It like goes out of its way to skip over battle sequences. Yep, it, it's a children's story. I mean, it is a, it, it is a children's story. It's and clearly the, with, sorry. Seriously, the size of the action sequences in the movie, just the length of them, was completely inappropriate. Yep. Well, isn't yeah, the last? We know you can spend forever on the Hobbit. We've seen Craig do it. But, <laughs> but there, there is a limit to how long an action sequence you can make and stay any measure of truthful towards the source material. Right, or exactly. It's not even yeah. interesting. Yeah, exactly. Because in Lord of the Rings, they had like, you know, it was a climatic battle. It, it was, the stakes were there. You know, it was, it felt very natural. Like it was all, you know, coming together into this big, you know, epic battle at the end. And you know, and, and you also had the battles in between. But with this, it seems so artificial and forced. And like, okay, let's get this CG battle on now. And then, of course, they they had like all these you know completely contrived action scenes that were just drawn out. And the whole whole uh, I, forgot, I, I think I guess it was the first one, or the second one, where the, the um, where they're escaping um, uh, the port town on the in the, the barrels. barrels. And, uh, and now yeah. I know, now, now technically that's in the book. So technically. technically that scene, yeah, that scene, but... <laughs> but but still, it was still like overdone, overproduced. It looked horrible. Like, I, I I'm pretty sure that could have that scene could have worked on a lot more levels if it wasn't so you know over the top and you know silly. Like, 
I, I don't know. There's nothing really in this movie, you know, landed for me. So yeah, I, I agree. I think the barrel scene could have done could have been much better. But I disagree. I think if it was even sillier, it would have been better. Because, like you said, the the movie is always like going in between extremes on terms of tone, where it's so serious and then it's just ridiculous, but ridiculous in a bad way. It was yeah. trying to intersperse humor with seriousness, and it wasn't working. Yeah, exactly. yeah. like oh, often yeah. that can work great. Um, like you know a little a little bit of humor. Uh, is how you like in the middle of a very serious situation is how you end up with dwarf tossing at Helm's Deep. Like <laughs> that was great. I loved that moment. <laughs> and it's also real. Like people who are in really serious situations like that will Sometimes joke about it. Yeah, I mean because that's the way you cope. Yeah, there is. I mean, there's a whole genre of comic relief. That's that's the thing yep. in movies. But but when. The, having a comic relief, you know, in a movie is different than trying to straddle the, the entire movie being funny or dark or, you know, serious. You know, you can't have all these genres, you know, bombard yeah. you all the same, all in the same movie because it, it sort of just feels like, okay, I have no idea how I'm supposed to feel right now. Like, you know, is this, is this, you know, dwarf serious or not? Is he going to like fall down on the flight of stairs? Or is he gonna chop my face off? Like I have no <laughs> idea. I have no idea how to feel, you know, right now. So, then th that's the problem with the movie. Like the whole, the whole thing was just so. Uh, I, I don't know. Jarring. It, it just, yeah, it was. It, it just didn't sit well with me. Well, and even the humor really was not really that great. It it, it, it wasn't comic relief so much as like, okay, this is really absurd now. Yeah, well, that, that's what I want to say next. The, <laughs> the the comedy was just very different. So you, you brought up the, the dwarf tossing in Helm's Deep. That was funny because we know the character of Gimli. Yes. And right. We understand that like he would never do this unless it was, you know, that kind of situation. Whereas in The Hobbit, they didn't really establish the characters that well, so we didn't really care. So they can't make jokes about characters and characters' reaction. They have to make, I don't know, silly, stupid jokes. Yep. Well, and it's, and it's so weird that they had so much time to establish so many characters, and yet they didn't. Yeah, yeah, I was just—I was just about to say that. So, okay, so so you want to have you want to stretch this thing out over three movies, okay? Not a good idea, but fine, try it. But instead of instead of like spending some time with each of the dwarves and you know, or 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 at the very least getting to know the characters a little bit better, they all came like to me. This is how I felt by the end of it. They all came across like as like this homogenous group of dwarves. Like none of them felt, you know, I mean, they had like stereotypes, but. They no. all felt this kind of like a big mob of dwarfs, like, like, right. like you know, walking around. Like, I was like, oh, right. dwarf number one. The only one that stood out was um, uh, Thorin. No, well, yeah, but he's he's kind of I, I he's kind of separate. But I, I, was it like, Neely, who the one who liked the elf, um, the the, the female elf, uh, who the, wasn't in the book, was who wasn't in the book at all. Yeah, it was Keely. Okay, and, and like. Yeah, they tossed like some romance, you know, some random Ugh. romantic story in there, which you know doesn't even exist. But they didn't do enough to you know build up any of these characters except give them kind of cliches, and that's where and it kind of fell apart. Well, and in the book, they kind of do feel like a mob of dwarves, but it's a short book, so it doesn't matter that they feel like a mob of dwarves. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know all the dwarves' names. I mean, but. It works for a very short story. the The focus of the door, or the focus of the book, is the Hobbit, not the dwarves. 
Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, they're just the catalyst. But unfortunately, when you have three movies, you know, like two hours, more than two hours each, you're 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 begging the question: is you know, why are we still following these guys around, and who are they? So then, exactly. you, then you're left, yeah, then you're left with the fact that even you even you don't fill out their characters, you're just left with a mob of dwarves, and you don't care about them. <laughs> so we've uh, we've talked for over an hour now. Yep. I thought I... Do you guys want to continue, or do you wanna? Maybe we can wrap it up. Yeah. So I thought for a wrap up, we could do is just maybe mention some things that we thought were good adaptations, and maybe one or two that we thought were bad. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Someone okay, has so, a plan. Uh, <laughs> I thought uh, Blade Runner was an excellent adaptation of uh, yeah. Android's Jupiter Electric Sheep. Sure. I was going to bring that up earlier, actually. And it's a still pretty different from the book, but it kept. What I said earlier, I kept the important parts and adapted it well, especially the atmosphere. Um, I thought the Castlevania Netflix adaptation was wonderful. It's not from a book, but it's from a video game, which you know, would be good, good adaptations. <laughs> and I thought it expanded on what was in the books because are in the games, which in my opinion don't really have real characters, but they turned them into real characters for the screen. And they it was a lot of, it was a lot of world building. There's a lot of world yeah, building. They brought well. the world building and the atmosphere from the games, and that was really adapted well. And then uh, Princess Bride, I thought, was an excellent adaptation. Oh. That they changed an important part of the book, but they changed it well for the screen. So good. Um, two, so, two of my oh. favorite adaptations uh, recently. Well, one of them is recent. Uh, good Omens yep. Uh, yep. transferred over, and I think they did a great job. They work to the strength of the cast that they had and trusting in David Tennant's never a bad idea. Great. Uh, one other one, it's, it's a bit older, is uh, Contact. I thought it was a great adaptation that really embraced parts of the movie and discarded uh, very large sections of the book, which were maybe a bit more cerebral, but it it made it much more about a single person and their life, their journey, their experiences, their point of view. And I liked that. Something I didn't like. Um, let's see. I'm going to have to go with Craig on this one and say the Shannara series. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so, so bad. So bad. Uh, for people who don't know, Shannara is supposed to be set several thousand years in the future. Right. And with elves. Um, <laughs> and goblins. <laughs> and and other things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then occasionally there's like come upon like, I don't know, like a, a, a high school prom that has been buried underground for 3,000 years and like the balloons are still there. <laughs> <laughs> the like oh, banners no. and yearbooks and tables and pencil <laughs> are all still there. <laughs> See, I haven't watched it at all. So, uh, or occasionally there's just like a washing machine, like in the wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> a slightly rusted, looks like it's been there for maybe 20 years, washing machine. Nice. So, yeah. I only have one because Kip took good omens, which I thought was really good. Hmm. Um, 
but also the I believe it's 1978 animated version of The Hobbit. Oh um, yeah, is so good, and it's just perfect, and it's definitely targeted at younger people. I want to say I was eight when I watched it um, the first time, and it's it captures the feeling and. It's just lovely, and you should watch it. I agree completely, except the elves. Yeah, little child Alex was terrified of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the anim- oh, I'm glad you said that. The animation, like, I, I went back and watched it, and the anim- it has like that, that classic, like, very creepy, like, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but, like, that animation style, when you watch it now, it has, like, that, it, it, the same thing with Pinocchio. Like, it has, like, that very creepy vibe to it that sort of is, like, oh, man, it's, like, really freaky. If I would have seen that as a kid, it would have freaked me out. Really? Yeah. The, 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 the whale in Pinocchio freaks the hell out of me. Well, I mean, that is kind of scary. He's eating the dad, and then he eats Pinocchio. I mean, <laughs> yeah. The elves are I don't know. Whatever. I'm sorry, you go. I you found Bilbo just to be scary in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> 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 just Bilbo smoking oh. his pipe. That was scary enough for me. Oh, jeez. I loved it so much. The the sequel where they did the whole Lord of the Rings series in one movie was pretty strange, but <laughs> The Hobbit was good. Horizon, what are your choices? I got, um. all right, so my one of my favorites is, this technically is an adaptation because both the movie and the book were written at the same time, but uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, I think, oh, um, I think really in looking back now, I think really it's just still such a powerful movie and like the, 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 the and speaking of which, it's sort of timely as we had our docking of a uh, dragon and the ISS today, but uh, the discovery <laughs> is an iconic spaceship. It's so <laughs> cool looking like and, and that scene where it docks and it, it's like the big ring that spins and yep. it, 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 it's it's seriously kind of underrated to how good it looks like if you go back and look at it like, it looks amazing yeah um so I, yeah so I, I love i love that and, it, it, and even though they were both written and uh filmed at the same time i still kind of count that um another one is actually v for vendetta um based on comic book but um the yeah. movie i actually really liked actually and they had natalie Portman in it um I mean, it's uh, an amazing movie. Yeah, it's pretty. It's, yeah, it's, it's a pretty good movie. Um, and I, I like because it's so like satirical. Uh, but it captures that whole like satire vibe from the comic, and the comic itself is kind of dark, and it still has like that very like creepy kind of you know, wor- not into the world, but sort of like shit is going down kind of feel to it. Um, and it's, it's such a great opening too, with like the the, the eighteen twelve overture is so 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 fucking red. Yes. Beautiful. Um. Yeah, and and and, and Tim, you're gonna like this one. Uh, I'm putting on your Cloud Atlas, actually. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I knew you liked it. Um, I almost said it. <laughs> it's on my the list. The only right thing, here. the only thing that bothers me about the movie is the um the Tom Hanks part. Oh wait. Okay. Well, the the, the future Tom Hanks part. The um, the future like far future storyline. Hmm. Um, that's the only one that kind of annoys me because I guess because the dialogue, it kind of it just it just it just like, rubs me the wrong way because the way they have to have that cat sort of fake. I, I don't even know what accent or dialect the, that the is. The true, true. It's the dialect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yes, yes. That, that annoys me so much. <laughs> I'm like, stop it, Tom Hanks, stop it. <laughs> but um, this, you know, the story you know, before like that, that one has the weirder dialect for me because it just uses brand names all the time. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the like, book, like, that's really disconcerting. Like, 
yeah, when they call like they, they call all movies like Disney's and they call like all shoes are like Nikes and stuff like that. Yep, and like yeah, every camera so cool. is like a yeah. Kodak. Yeah, yeah, the Kodak, yeah. <laughs> it, I mean it's it's, it's kind of creepy, but I it, it it feels like oh man, I could It's like Kleenex. Happen. Yeah, 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 like Crocs. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But that's one of my like when I saw the trailer for this movie, I like had I didn't see the movie. I, I read the frankly, I had time to read the book before the movie came out. But once I saw the trailer for it, the tra- the trailer is just perfect. I like how it captures this movie. And I went back and read the book, and I fell in love with it. Um, and that's how the movie I was a little disappointed, but the movie still still damn good. Yeah. Well. Thank you very much for listening to Green Team, and we will talk to you later. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.